This is Meditation 20 and my last meditation in the series. I've called it, What's So Amazing About Grace? We are Grace Vineyard Church, so I thought it might be a good idea to end with a meditation on the wonderful grace of God and what it means to live a grace-filled life. First of all, it means to become more like Jesus, who John describes in John chapter 1 and verse 14 as a man full of grace and truth. Peter calls God the God of all grace in 1 Peter 5.10 and we are encouraged to grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. 2 Peter 3.17 How do we grow in this? By becoming true disciples of Jesus, doing what he taught us. As Christian followers, we need to know the grace of God in our lives and reflect God's grace to others. Let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. A counsellor, David Siemens, summed up his career in this way. Many years ago, I was driven to the conclusion that the two major causes of most emotional problems among Christians are these. The failure to understand, receive and live out God's unconditional grace and forgiveness and the failure to give out that unconditional love, forgiveness and grace to other people. We read, we hear, we believe a good theology of grace, but that's not the way we live. The good news of the gospel of grace has not penetrated the level of our emotions. Isn't that a poor indictment on us and how we live outside of God's saving grace? So what is this grace we are talking about? How can we define it? The best definition I've heard is that grace is God's unmerited favour, his unconditional love. Grace comes free of charge to people who don't deserve it. And you and I are these people. Grace means there is nothing we can do to make God love us more. And grace means there is nothing we can do to make God love us less. It's truly incredible. Do you ask and wonder like I do? What have I done to deserve this? God's grace often amazes me. In the mystery of his love, he has chosen the foolish, the foolish, the weak, the despised, 1 Corinthians 1, 27 to 28. He doesn't want us to place our confidence in our own resources, but to glory in his wisdom and his pleasure as he demonstrates grace to those he chooses to bless. God's grace defies understanding. Why does he favour us? 
Why does he commit himself to everlasting love? The Bible says, because we are his treasured possession, his chosen children. We are his pride and joy, and he delights in us. We are the apple of his eye. He will keep an eye on us and protect us because we are so precious to him. But do we always feel like this? Do we live in the abundant, joyful life Christ died to give us? Or do we believe the lies of the evil one? John 8:44 says, For there is no truth in him. He's talking about the devil. When he lies, he speaks his native language. For he is a liar and the father of lies. How easy is it for us to feel unloved, unworthy, inadequate, believing the lies that bind us when Jesus came to set us free? How difficult is it for you to look in the mirror and believe what God says about you? He says, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. 2 Corinthians 12, chapter, verse 9. It doesn't matter how weak you feel. God's grace and power are all you need to live victoriously. If God, by his grace, can take an embittered and legalistic murderer like Saul, forgive him and give him a new identity so that he becomes the great apostle Paul, who says in 1 Corinthians 15:5, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. There's surely hope for you and me to become all our gracious God has created us to be. So what does or should a grace-filled Christian look like? I think it centers on a new way of seeing we need to recognize we cannot please God or earn his favor by any method of self-improvement or self-enlargement, but we can turn to God for help, for grace. And when we do that, we discover a holy God who already loves us and accepts us despite our faults and failures. His grace truly is sufficient. I love what Ecclesiastes 10, 12 says, the words of a wise man's mouth are gracious. Oh, if only we would live like this. If only we would speak to build up instead of tear down. Lord, make my words gracious and loving. Let me be like Jesus, full of grace and truth. Our beautiful response to God's grace and the way we should live is set out in 1 Peter 2 verses 1 to 3. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy and evil speaking, as newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. And if we have tasted the Lord's grace, then we can extend that grace to others. Romans 12, 6 says, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. 
And 1 Peter 4.10 tells us, Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in various forms. How beautiful would that be? Or are we more likely to look at someone, recognize their faults and mistakes, and criticize them, or talk behind their backs? C.S. Lewis says, to be a Christian is to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. As we think about the difficult people we may encounter, can we have the grace to discover the positive intentions behind the negative words and actions? Can we show the grace that calls out the beauty of each person, seeing them as God sees them? Can we extend grace to the unlovely, to those who think differently from us, even to those who judge or attack us? Can we give away the undeserved love and favour God shows to us and treat others with the grace they don't deserve? We, the church, must be a community of people sharing a mutually acknowledged weakness, but a people thirsty for God's grace. The world runs on ungrace. It is performance-based. Everything depends on what we do or don't do. Jesus' kingdom calls us to another way, one that depends on his performance, not ours. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16 shows us the way. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. I love the song Amazing Grace. It was written in 1772 by John Newton, a coarse, cruel slave trader. He first called out to God in a storm at sea that nearly threw him overboard. He continued to ply his trade even after his conversion. But gradually he began to understand and accept God's amazing grace that saved even a wretch like him. He was ordained to the priesthood and lived in God's unmerited favour. Can we, like Newton, sing now of God's amazing grace to us?
Thank you for listening to these meditations and I pray they would have strengthened and encouraged you in your walk with our gracious Lord and Saviour. May I end with this blessing from 2 Corinthians 13, 14. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.